Are you ready for God's word today? Yeah, um, some of you are, some of you are undecided. That's okay. I totally understand. We are in week two of a relationship series that we called It's a Match. It's a match. And hopefully you were here last week. And if you weren't here last week, uh, the message is online. It's on YouTube, website, wherever you go on the app. Uh, you can get the message. I would encourage you to track along with us. And, and the heart behind this series was really just to help um, help us all with something that's very important um, to us, and that is relationships. God made relationships, and, and we have all types of relationships, people we work with. Um, we have relationships with friends and family, and we have relationships with uh, husbands and wives and kids, and uh, maybe someone we're in a relationship with that we're not married to, dating or whatever. We have relationships, and, and I really feel like God's Word speaks to all of those things, and we have to understand that God, and this is kind of the idea that the, the idea of the series is that God is the author of relationships. He created relationships on purpose for a purpose. He created them on purpose for a purpose. And, and so since he is the author of them, he is the authority on them. And, and so we can't say, well, God created relationships, but I can get my information from Google. You know, God created relationships, but I can get my information from a magazine or whatever the case may be. No, God created relationships, so we have to get our information about them and how they work from the Word of God. He is the author, therefore He is the authority. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to give you, um, from God's Word, truth and principles, um, because everyone in the day in which we live, everybody claims to have truth. Like, oh, I have truth and I'm living my truth. Listen, let me tell you something. Just because you believe it doesn't make it true. And just because you accept it doesn't make it true. Everybody claims, we live in a day where everybody claims to have truth, but one person claimed to be truth. And that's the person that authored relationships. That's Jesus or God. And that's the person that authored relationships. And, and that's the person we want to look to as the authority on these relationships. And so we kicked this off uh, last week. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that if you missed it or watch it. Um, but today... We're going to go again uh, in, in this series, and we're back in Genesis chapter 29, where we were last week. And I just want to remind you, if you don't know or, or inform you or remind you whichever way, um, I wanted to sit down and answer all your questions like in a live. I'll do that sometimes on the weekend where I'll just take questions live and answer them. Um, but there wasn't really place in the schedule for that. And so I'm doing live Q&A on social media. Uh, I did one last Wednesday that I think is still up on our, our social media. I'm doing another one this Wednesday um, afternoon at one o'clock. And so you can submit questions to us through, if you, through my social media, the church's social media, or email, or however you want to get us your question. If you want to get us a question, I'll answer it live uh, on social media. Um, and so we would love for you to participate with us. And if you have a question, it might be helpful. So uh, I think the first one, I don't know where it's at, but it's getting lots of attention on social media. So uh, anyway, so that's a resource to you. Um, love for you to join in. So now Genesis 29, what's going on? Well, we talked about last week, kind of the same text, different part, but same chapter. Um, this, is, uh, this is a man uh, named Jacob. Now, who was Jacob? Well, if we back up, there was a man named Abram, and God changed his name to Abraham. And he, he was like literally the first artist formerly known as. And so Abram, Abraham. And then he had a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they were twins. Uh, Esau was actually the firstborn. And so he, as the firstborn, was entitled to a birthright of the firstborn and a blessing of the firstborn. Uh, but there's this crazy story, don't have time to get into it, where Esau, um, and Esau was a Hunter. He was hairy, uh, like Chewbacca, and and um, and he was a hunter. And Jacob was more. He was more Pinterest, right? He was more salad in the jar and red, white, and blue berry desserts for Fourth of July. He was more Pinterest, right? Nothing wrong with it, but that's just. This is the difference in the two. We got Cabela's and Pinterest. Are you with me? And so and so. Esau is a hunter, but he comes in hungry, and, and, and Jacob had just tried out a new soup recipe, and Esau's like, hey, give me some soup, and Jacob's like, I will for your birthright, and for whatever reason, Esau sold him his birthright for some soup. It must have been really good soup. I'm not talking no Campbell's thick and chunky, like this was some good soup. And, um, and so then Jacob 
later on deceives his own father who is dying. He deceives him into getting the blessing of the firstborn. And then Esau threatens to kill him. So Jacob runs north um, to where his family's from, to Uncle Laban, if you will. Genesis 28, he has an incredible encounter with God. And then we get to Genesis 29. And this is where, this is where he, he falls in love. Like he finds the one right here. Like he looks up and here comes this shepherdess. And it's like, you know, she's the one. And this is where we're going to pick up the text. Verse 16, Genesis 29. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah had weak eyes. Time out. We just said that's Bible talk for she had a great personality. All right. No one really knows what weak eyes means. It could have been that they were crossed. It could have been that one of them just didn't, they didn't focus well. But anyways, there you go. But, but it says, Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. She, she had the apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. All right, so. And Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to Laban, I'll work for you seven years if I can have Rachel. And Laban says, better to give her to you than some other guy, so stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Now, here, here you go, ladies, most, one of the most romantic lines in the Bible. He worked seven years, but it seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Yeah, everybody just, oh. But let's go to the next line. So Laban brought to, together all the, the next line, verse 21, I'm sorry. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. It went from romantic to something else very quickly. But in his defense, he's been waiting seven years. And I don't know that he's going to play boys to men on this. I don't think it's going to be like, close your eyes, make a wish. I don't think that's what he's thinking. Um, maybe a little more Marvin Gaye. But um, anyway, so Laban brought together all the people of the place to have a feast. But when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. Now, time out. That to me is one of the craziest things in the Bible. It's not crazy that Laban brought her, brought Leah to Jacob. It's crazy because Jacob didn't figure it out. Like, how much wine was at the party? <laughs> like, how intoxicated do you have to be? Like, there was obviously no candlelight. No preliminary activity. Okay, so anyways. But Laban did give Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. It's a nice wedding gift. Here's a servant. When morning came, this one to me. When morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> Hey, good looking. You know what I mean? Like, and Jacob said, What have you done to me? I served you for Rachel. Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, Oh, by the way, we have a custom. I probably should have let you know. Like, there should have been some fine print. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older. So then he says, Just finish the bridal week, and then I'll give you the younger, but you have to commit to work seven more years. And Jacob did so. And he finished the week with Leah and Laban, gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Crazy story, crazy story. Um, I call this message the expectation frustration. The expectation frustration. Um, let us, let's pray. God, thank you so much that your word speaks to every station and season and situation. And God, it is our desire and heart to hear your truth about relationships. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak clearly. 
to our hearts that we would hear, comprehend, understand, because God, you want to save us from what doesn't work. And so God, just help us to hear you. Um, and God, we just pray, breathe life into relationships today in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Um, if you've been married, if you're not, if you've been married or if you've contemplated getting married, then you approach it with a set of expectations. It's not that that's wrong. It's that that's what makes you human. And it probably starts for girls when they're about six years old, because at six years old, they start planning their wedding, right? Oh, I'm going to meet the guy, Prince Charming, because we watch Disney movies, right? And so we know the big ugly man turns into a prince and we live happily ever after in our new palace. We know that's how it works, right? And, and, and we, 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 we've watched all the stories and we've listened to all the love songs and, and we have these expectations about how marriage is actually going to work and ladies have that expectation of like, he's going to be so sensitive and and he's always going to know my needs and he's always going to meet them. And he's going to know what I think. Even if I don't tell him, he's going to, he's going to be a feeler and we're going to feel together. And guys are over here. Like she's, she's going to look smoking hot and, and she's going to cook like really good. And, you know, and, and they have all these expectations and she's going to support me in my hunting and my fishing and all the toys and things that I want to do and have. She's just going to say, sure, honey, we need another, whatever. And so, um, we're just going to, have this great, great life. And then you get married. And sometimes you find out that what you expected is not what you're getting. It's just natural. And sometimes we have healthy expectations. Sometimes it's, it's not unhealthy to expect some things. But then sometimes we have unhealthy expectations. And we expect things from people that they're not able to give. Or, or that they couldn't possibly, needs they probably couldn't meet. And, and sometimes, truthfully, in our culture, sometimes it is easier than you think to marry a stranger. Sometimes it's easy to think you are marrying Rachel and wake up one day with Leah. And the reason is, let's be honest, if we could just all be honest for a minute, we approach dating because part of dating is selling yourself. You, you put your best foot forward, right? I mean, it, 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 you, you do. It, it's human nature because you want to, you wanna, you're trying to impress this person. So you're all clean, taking showers, putting deodorant on, spraying all the sprays on. Like you're putting spanks everywhere and, <laughs> Right? You already got everything spanked up, right? And, and uh, I don't know if that's a term, but I just invented it. And so, and now they got spanks for men, yeah? And, and you thought, oh man, he's, look at that big chest. The truth is, it's, it's his stomach that's been pulled up here. <laughs> right? Like, and, and, and so now we're putting our best foot forward and, and, and he's saying, yes, ma'am, and please, and thank you, and bringing you flowers, and, and she's cooking these meals, or at least pretending to cook. Maybe she doesn't know how to cook, but she's driving by and getting our, paying her friends to cook, and everything's looking great, but you can only suck it in for so long. And eventually you get married, and it's like... <sighs> And so it, it sometimes is easier because we have these expectations and we think this person was selected because we believe they'll meet our expectations. Can we just be honest? That's how we selected them. Oh, they, they will. And here's the crazy thing. Now, women, they a lot of times will marry a man thinking I can change him to be like he's so close. And I know if I marry him, I can get him to be the right guy. And men, we, we don't have that kind of forethought. We're thinking, I'm marrying her because she's never going to change and she's always going to be this way. And then sometimes things change. And so truthfully, we go into a relationship expecting certain things. Some are okay. Some are unrealistic. And when we have unrealistic expectations, we set ourselves up for disappointment. We set ourselves up for discouragement. Um, it's easier than you think in our culture to marry 
a stranger. Um, pro tip, pro tip, if you're, if you're in a dating relationship um, or considering one, um, the, the most important parts of a person are the parts you cannot see. You just may want to write that down. Like, like this is something to think about. Like the most important parts of them, their faith, their heart, their sincerity, their love for God, the most important parts, what is driving that person, what is determining their identity is on the inside. And that's why you have to date or enter in relationships, I feel like, with the Holy Spirit. You want Jesus in your relationship. You want the Holy Spirit in you. You want the discernment to know, is this a player? Am I, am I being played? Or is he for real? Like, is he coming to church because he wants to hook up with me? Or is he coming to church because his heart is on fire by God? You don't have to be lonely to be on Farmers Only. And you don't have to be a Christian. Now everybody's got it in their head. You don't have to be lonely. There it is. Thank you. Um, and you don't have to be a Christian to be on Christian Mingle. And so you need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. You need the filter of God's word as you're approaching this. In fact, let me give you four things. If you want to be married to a stranger, let me give you four things really quickly. It's not the message, but it's a good, it's a good warm up. Number one, rush into it. Somebody say, amen, rush into it. Swipe right and feel like it's forever. That's number one, rush into it. All right, rush into it. Because here's the thing, you need to back up and give some time to see them in different situations. Like you, you want to see what they're like when, when, when they get triggered, when they're around their family, when they're around their friends. You, you need to see what they're like in different situations. You need to see who their friends are. Who have they been hanging out with before they met you? Because if you're the first Christian they've been hanging out with. Hmm. And so you don't want to rush into it. You want to you take your time. The second thing is get too physical too soon. Um, the truth of it is uh, love makes you crazy. It does. Crazy in love. That's where the song came from. Um, it makes you crazy because it, it releases. It actually makes you high. Because it releases all of these chemicals in your body, these feel-good chemicals. And when you, get, when you get all hooked on a feeling, you're really hooked on a feeling. And, and, and psychologists, tell, psychologists tell us that the last six weeks to 18 months, that, that euphoria, if you will, that, that high. And so truthfully, when I get physical too soon, every physical act, even hugging for more than 30 seconds releases chemicals in your body. It will release bonding chemicals, oxytocin. Like it, this is science, right? So you're like, maybe you're not making out, but, but snuggling. Well, you're still, you're still getting chemicals and those chemicals turn into infatuation, which makes you blind to what's really going on. And so you want to take it slow and not get too physical. And by the way, every physical thing you do in a relationship is all aimed at one thing. Let's just be honest. Like, nobody gets in a race car, cranks it up, whom, 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 whom. oh, that's good, I'll just get out. <laughs> no, the embrace, the kiss, the hug, all of it, all of it is, is really headed to one place. And here's why, because that's why God made us. There's nothing wrong with it. That's the way God made us. And so, so get too physical, rush into it, get too physical too soon. Here's the second thing, keep your relationship in the dark. This is what I saw, because I'm sitting here like, how does this man marry one woman? By the way, going back to point two, get too physical too soon. How does he marry one woman and one woman and then sleep with another? And then, but can I just sidebar? Can I give you something? I'm going to eventually talk about sex, but I'm not going to tell you when, because I don't want you to decide you're not coming on that weekend. It's not next weekend, by the way. It may not be the next, but it's coming. But I'm not going to tell you, because some of you are like, oh, I know about sex. You need to be here. But you know what's interesting is, get too physical too soon, um, sex is blinding and sex is binding. Isn't it interesting that he went through a wedding ceremony with Rachel, but he slept with Leah and that meant he was married to Leah? Why was he married to the one he stood at the altar with? Because it's the sex that marries you. Every covenant has a sign and a seal. 
Every covenant. Marriage is a covenant. The sign is the I do at the altar and then the ring on your finger. That's the sign that I'm in a covenant. But the seal, the consummation of the covenant is the sex. That's why Paul said, when you sleep with a prostitute, you're joining your body to the prostitute. He's not talking about just for a few minutes. He's saying God made sex to knit our souls together, and that's involuntary. God made sex to marry us. And the problem in our culture is we're teaching people to get married to people they never made a covenant relationship with. And then expecting that when they go their separate ways, it doesn't cost or it doesn't hurt or it doesn't tear them at the level of their soul. Are you with me? And so the truth of it is, it's the sex that's binding because it is the sex that makes two into one. And so we have people who, who are binding themselves to someone that was never committed to them in the first place. If you want to do it culture's way, that's how you do it. Meet them in a club, have sex, and then see if you can make a relationship out of it. Okay, I don't, that's, I'll get on that later. Anyways, um, so get too physical too soon. And then keep your relationship in the dark. I thought, how, how, how is it possible to stand altar with Rachel and then sleep with Leah? And then I saw this verse. I've never seen this before. Verse 23, it says, but that night when it was dark. And I thought, man, if you want to marry the wrong person, keep your relationship in the dark. Keep it away from your life group. Keep it away from the friends that speak into your life. Keep it away from the people that, 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 that honor God's truth and live according to God's truth. And isn't it all true? Let's just be honest. If you've ever had, if you've dated, let's just be probably most, okay. Some people have dated someone they knew it wasn't right. And because they knew it wasn't right, they, they, they tried to keep it away from the people that would challenge it. And they tried to keep it away from church and they tried to keep it away from life group. They tried to keep it away from, because basically I'm getting what I want and I know they probably wouldn't condone it. And here's what I'd say. If you're in a relationship that you don't think God would bless, you better get out of it. Okay. So, so the, the next one is number four. If you want to marry the wrong person, play the game, do what culture says, play the game. Don't hate the player, hate the game, play the game. What I love, not really love, what I see in the text is Jacob says, Laban, you tricked me. But this is a man that had spent all of his life tricking everybody else. And somehow we think we're going to play the game and someone's not going to play the game on us. And so you find the wrong person, play the game. So, so that's getting married to the wrong person. Good ways to do it. But now let's talk about expectations, about ex four things. These are unrealistic expectations, but as someone who has been a pastor, who has loved on people and listened to people and talked to people, um, I think these can help you. First, first unrealistic expectation is this, I can use my practices, but get what God's promised. I can use my practices, but get God's promises. Um, the, the truth of it is, if I were to explain to you what God would like you to have in a marriage, I think everybody would go for it. Let's just try. What if I came back and said, here are two people who are passionately in love with God, who have identified their purpose, who are walking in emotional health, who are walking in truth, who are serving God. They are living on purpose. They meet each other and they fall in love and they decide to get married. They don't sleep with each other. And then they get married and now on their wedding night, they're entering their wedding night and neither one of them has ever seen another person without their clothes off. I know culture would be like, is that possible? I'm just saying, what if this is what? So now they go into their wedding night and, and neither one of them are wondering, are they enough? Neither one of them are thinking about other images or other people or wondering if the other one's thinking about other images or other people. They're not, they're not insecure and in saying, I wonder if he enjoyed this with someone else better than he's enjoying it with me. Or I wonder if I can live up to his expectation because he's had several partners. Or I wonder if, if I'm going to be enough for him. Or, or, or is he sitting there thinking, I wonder if someone else was better at this than I am. And now, and, and no one enters into that marriage saying, Hey, before we get married, I, I need to explain that I've got venereal disease or I've got S, 
an STD and, and no one says, oh, by the way, I've had so many abortions, the doctors say that I'm not going to be able to have children of my own. These are not conversations we actually want to have. And those aren't the, we want that relationship where, where, where two people on fire for God, living in purpose, walking out their calling, meet each other, get married. They've never seen another person naked. They get to experience sex for the first time together. And there's no insecurities and there's no fear. Well, there's always going to be, we're human, but you understand what I'm saying. There's no thoughts about other people outside of that room. It's just two people in love trying to figure it out. And if we said that, then they live their lives having only satisfied each other. They're the only people that's ever been with each other. And they live that out in their life. And if I explain that to you, most people, now if you're sitting there like, I don't like that, you need prayer. But for most people... They'd be like, oh man, that'd be a great thing. That'd be really good. Now for the cynics, well, that's not even possible. Here's what I'd say. I think I'd rather have a part of God's plan than all of my plan. So it, it, you disqualify it for however. And maybe you're sitting here saying, well, I can't have that because I've already messed up. Then, then I, I, please understand that God still heals and redeems and, and, and you can stop at this point and move on and let God restore your soul and heal you and bring back identity and, and God can do a work. So, so don't count yourself out. You can still have an incredible plan. I'm just explaining that that culture will tell you, meet them, sleep with them, see if you can make a relationship. If it doesn't work, find somebody else. The truth of it is, by the way, that when we have sex, our, we bond emotionally through chemicals like oxytocin. And science has proven the more sexual partners you have, the less you bond with them. Just in case you want to know. Because God made us to have that one person and to be stuck like glue somebody. All right. And so, so the truth is, I think we want what, what, what God wants. I think we, deep down we do. But the problem is we keep going back to trying to do it our, our way. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle said this, if you want what everyone has, do what everyone says. But if you want what only God has, do what only God says. Just a thought. The, the truth of it is, is that we want our relationships built on the right foundation, which is the truth of God's word. Matthew 7, Jesus is telling a parable or a story um, and, and he says this, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He said, the rain came, the flood came, the winds came, and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine but does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds. Did you notice the rain and the flood and the wind is, is going to happen no matter where you build your house or what you build it on? But it says on the one who built it on the sand, who didn't build it on the words of Jesus, it says it fell. And then it says this, and great was the fall. See, you cannot have stability without the right foundation. The foundation of any building is the strongest part of any building, right? Like the foundation we're building out on 259, our new campus. Like it didn't, they just pour the slab. No, no, no. They, they drill these big holes and put all this metal down in them. And they, they put in these piers. And before that, they did all this special dirt work and dug down and put all this stuff in, just dirt, getting layers of dirt. And I don't understand, but they got it all in there. And they had to pull dirt from over here and get dirt from over there to have the right mixture and the right kind of dirt that would hold up. And then they had to drill the big holes and put the rebar in and pour the concrete. And then they, so there were piers. And then they decided to pour footings, which is all the way around the building. And then, then they put the metal in and did all for the slab. Because the foundation of anything you build on it has to be stronger than what you're trying to build on it. And when you're trying to build on your wisdom and your understanding and your beliefs and your ideas, then you have to be the strength of what you build. But if you build on God's wisdom and God's truth and God's ideas, you have built on something stronger than you. And the world says, no, 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 no. You build good relationships on these ideas or, or, well, we were attracted. That's what, is that a really a foundation? For, like I swiped right. 
She has a body like a back road, sir. That's where a lot of accidents happen. A lot of wrecks on the back road. Because of the curves. Come on, somebody. But I just feel, I just hooked on a feeling. A feel. I've got chemistry. Okay, you can have chemistry with people, but the bottom line is who are they really? Not the connection that you feel to them. Oh, but we have common interest. We both like football. We both like the Cowboys. I'm a Gemini. He's a Libra. Where it's made in the start. Are you serious right now? Like, you think that's going to get you through burying somebody you love? You think that's going to get you through hard times, losing bankruptcy, a child that's sick? You think that's going to get you through it because you're a Libra and they're a Gemini and you felt it and you swiped right? You think that's what you're going to build something on? Hmm. The first marriage we see in the Bible was God's idea and it was built on the foundation of who God was because God was the one that said, hey, I've created Adam, and from Adam, I'm going to create Eve. It was God's. And they were, built on, they were built on the foundation of God. That's where stability comes from. All right, here, here's the second unrealistic expectation. Uh, they will complete me. Anybody watch Jeremy Maguire? Tom Cruise? You complete me. Oh, shut up. You had me at hello. Um, that's, that's the scene, right? And scene. <laughs> and so that's, right? It's like, you, you, you complete me. I'm looking for the one that completes me. Um, here, here's the truth of it is, um, you can't actually find yourself in someone else. Not apart from God. And when you're looking for you in somebody else, you are setting yourself up for hurt. And so when you're saying I'm incomplete without this person, you're looking for them to bring a part of you to you that they don't have. And it sets you up not only for disappointment and discouragement, but, but actually for pain. Can I just be honest with you? If you're, in, if you're in the dating world, just for a minute, if you're in the dating world um, and you entered into the dating world looking for good feelings for you, you are in for the wrong reason. Um, in marriage, it's not that you have a half a person and a half a person. And when they come together, you get a whole person. And so it's not like, it's not like you're going around looking for the other half of you. You're not looking like if you're, if you're entering into a relationship, hoping somebody's going to make you feel a certain way, that's, that's, all, that's bad. That's, you're going to end up hurt, discouraged. But, but the truth of it is when you become a whole person, and you are whole within yourself, that's stability. See, when two people enter a relationship trying to be completed by the other person, they will end up competing with the other person for what they need to feel completed. So you have two broken people who's trying to experience fullness from another broken person. And so they are now competing. Well, I need and I need and I want and I want and you need to complete me and you need to complete me. And now we're in this war of two broken people trying to make a whole marriage because we believed if I found the right person, they would complete me and I would always feel a certain way and life would look a certain way and be a certain way. And so now I have brought most marriage problems are not marriage problems. Marriage problems are what side of the bed do you want to sleep on? Do you want the fan on or not? Right? These are marriage problems. Most marriage problems are personal problems, single problems that got married. And I got married and now I'm still insecure and I got married and I'm still on porn and I got married and, and I still have bad spending habits and I got married and I still have anxiety. And so I thought if I got married and the truth of it is, no, 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 there are single people problems that got married and they were hoping someone could complete them. But now that person was hoping they would complete them. So now they're just competing with each other, trying to be completed by one another, which isn't even possible to begin with. 
Colossians 2.10 says this, and you are complete in him. That there is only one place, one person that completes you, and that's God. The one that authored you, the one that created you, the one that formed you, the one that knit you together, the one that purposed you, you're his masterpiece, and you are completed by him alone. It's, it's not fair to, to the other person to expect them to complete you, to expect them to meet all of your needs. It's an unrealistic expectation because they're probably not able to do that. Paul said it this way, Christ will meet all my needs according to, to his riches and glory. Are you with me? And when we enter into, well, these are my needs and I want my needs met, it's good. As, and I'll get to this in just a minute. If we're in a relationship, it should be to give, right? But the truth of it is, we're not always capable of meeting everybody's needs or each other's needs. And the truth of it is, if we're supposed to be complete in him and complete in our singleness, and if, if we don't need another person to be complete, then we don't have needs as much as we have desires, like, I desire this. I'd like to have this. It would be nice if this happened. It'd be nice if I could have this. There, there are things that I wish for, but ultimately, if a person can't give them to me, I have to go back to God and be complete in Him. I feel like I'm helping you. Is this good information? I mean, I can keep going to someone who cannot meet my need, or I can drop back and punt and go to God who is equipped to meet my needs. God didn't create Eve to complete Adam. He created Eve to complement Adam. And many times if we feel incomplete in our relationship, sometimes it's, it's not that the other person's not doing a good enough job. It's that we're expecting things out of them that they're not able to do. And then we have to go back and say, and this is great too, if you're single, I want you to hear that you are complete in him and you don't need a significant other to be significant. You don't need a significant other to live a significant life. Purpose doesn't come after you get married. Purpose comes when God knits you and forms you and breathes life to you. He has a plan and a purpose and a calling for your life that doesn't need a ring to be fulfilled because God loves you and you are chosen and you are complete in him. Come on, somebody. Here, here's the third one. The third one. Um, this sounds funny, but I've had people like this for real. Marriage will solve my problems. And see, hear the laughter? That's the married people. Right? Like, like, because I've had people, I'm lonely now, but if I get married, some of the most lonely people I know are married. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just saying that's it's true. Oh, marriage will solve my problems. If I get married, I'll, I'll feel like I belong. I'll have my soulmate and be at peace. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, please. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Praying for you. Um, let's let Jesus work. Um, oh, man, two can live uh, less expensively than one. So it will solve my financial problems. Just give me somebody with some money. Oh man, it solved my sex problems. Oh, I've heard this one. I think number one lie mostly men deal with, especially young men, is if I get married, and we, because we're Christians, we can't have sex. We get married and have sex, it'll fix my pornography addiction, which never works. And so, so, but we believe this idea that, that, oh, marriage, I mean, we wouldn't say it this way because it sounds marriage will solve my problem. We don't say it that way. We say, I'm lonely, but if I get married, oh, if I find the one, oh, if, if, if fulfillment comes after your, your, and we believe, but here's the truth. Marriage doesn't solve your problems for you. It shows your problems to you. That's the truth of it. Um, because when you get married, you increase the accountability on your life. And when you get married, and especially you start having kids, now there's another lens of somebody watching you. I always feel like somebody's watching. <laughs> like, like, like all of a sudden, we want to do a sing-along. Okay, this is a sing-along crowd. Um, but anyways... Um, but, but marriage now, somebody's, somebody's watching and now you're responsible to someone else. 
you were just responsible to God, but now you're responsible to your family. Like when I was, when I was single, I go into a store and there's a, a nice jacket that I wanted and $400. Wow, that's a lot. But hey, I have $400. I'm going to buy the jacket. Now I'm like cruising online and see a $400 jacket. Ooh, I like that jacket. I wonder which kid needs shoes. <sighs> because spouse, kids, it all changes another lens of accountability into your life. It all changes and, and, and it actually introduces challenges because I don't mean, I mean, it's a bad way, but I thought I was a good husband until I got married. <laughs> Just like I thought I was an incredible parent until Luke was born. And then I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just thought, man, I'm a good Christian. And, and so if I get married, I'm going to be a good husband because I'm moral, right? And, and I love God. And I've heard marriage talks. And I've read some books in the Bible. Surely I'll be a good husband. And then I got married. I'm like, I suck at this. <laughs> Same thing with parenting. I'm going to be a great parent. Then Luke was born. I'm like, oh, my God. What do we do with it? Here's your promise from God's word. If you're wondering about problems in marriage, 1 Corinthians 7, 28, Paul says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. Well, that's good to know. And if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. Okay. But then he says this, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I'd like to spare you of this. You don't see that in the marriage devotional, do you? By the way, Paul gives us one verse that would solve every marriage problem. One verse is verse one of 1 Corinthians 7. It says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it's good for man never to touch a woman. <laughs> Solves all the problems. You just don't get married. You never have marriage problems. Somebody that's... <laughs> but the point is that, that marriage... Marriage creates opportunities. It creates challenges and it's supposed to. I had a, a, a sweet little lady tell me one time I was speaking on marriage and she pulled me aside after the service, so sweet. And she'd been married I probably, I don't know, 50 years or so. And, and she looked at me and she said, you know, pastor, God didn't give us marriage to make us happy. He gave us marriage to make us holy. And I thought probably no truer words have ever been spoken. Yes, you can be happy and you should. And that's God's heart and plan for you. You'll be happy when you'll focus on holy. And so there's work to do. Marriage creates opportunity for growth and, and for challenges. See, the truth of it is marriage is not about what I can get. I'm only ready to get married. Someone asked this question on the live stream. How do you know when you're ready to get married? I said, when you're ready to give. That's how you know. Like if you're looking for something, that's not a good time to try to get married. Or, but, but when you're ready to give, think about this. <clears throat> God creates Adam in the garden and, um, and, and then says, you know, I don't think it's good for Adam to be alone. Now think about this. Adam is perfect. He is complete. He is without sin. He is walking in purpose, tending and keeping the garden, naming all the animals, I mean, he's living the life God created him for. But God says it's not good that man should be alone. Now, what was the thing Adam could, couldn't do? And every guy just said, sex. <laughs> Back up, sir. <laughs> Bless you. Let's, let's start deeper. <laughs> but, but, but he was created in the image of God. And what did God desire? God desired to love people. He desired, he made a creation in his image that he could love, that he could bestow love on. And he realized, in fact, he brought all the animals. It's not good Adam should be alone. Let's have a parade of the animals, see if anybody's a, a suitor for Adam. The dog was a close second, but ultimately they came down to, nope, it doesn't work. <laughs> and so then God made Adam go to sleep. And he didn't, Okay, pet peeve. He didn't take Eve out of a vertebrae in his neck so she could be the neck that turned the head because to me that's manipulation and homie doesn't play that. He also did not make Eve out of the foot as though they're supposed to serve us and do whatever we want. No, he took Eve out of the side, out of the rib 
to compliment Adam and give him someone to lavish love on, to give him someone to love. That's what. So how do I know when I'm ready to enter into a relationship? When I'm ready to give love. When I'm not looking to solve my problems. Here's the last thing. Last unrealistic expectation. You can expect more from it than you give it. You can expect more from it than you give to it. I think we all fall into this trap as humans. We all fall into the trap of expecting to go to a garden that we haven't tended, but still have fruit. It's, it's with each one of us. It's human nature. But the truth of it is that, that the law of the second law of thermodynamics, because I know you wanted some science today, um, says that, that, our, that creation, essentially the universe, um, always points to, goes toward entropy or chaos or disorder. And so, in other words, if, if, it's, if it reaches a place um, naturally, if left alone, it will move towards chaos and disorder. And I just thought, how many times is that true in, in our marriages, especially when we, we've been married a while and, and all of a sudden we've stopped investing, we've stopped giving, got kids, got to get them to practice, got soccer games, got baseball games, works difficult, got my career, got this going on. And, and we stop investing in the relationship and, and then wonder where the fruit went. And so the truth of it is, there's a principle in the Bible called grow or die. That's what I call it. It's the principle of growing and dying or grow or die. And what it simply says is that nothing can just be maintained. You either try to grow it or it will lean towards entropy. It will lean towards disaster or chaos or whatever. And, and so, so the law of grow or die says that if I'm not investing, then it's probably going the other way. If I'm not growing, it's probably dying because how many know it's so hard to maintain anything? Like to me, the hardest thing to do is maintain your weight. Like I can gain weight. That's easy. I'm anointed. <laughs> and I can lose weight. Like I know how to do that. But just trying to get that scale to say the same thing every week, my God, that's like Plinko at the Price is Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> drop the thing, see where it lands. I don't know. But the truth of it is, is that if we're, if we're trying to maintain it, it's probably moving backwards. We have to invest in it. The, the parable that Jesus tells is, is with a master who calls his servants in. He gives one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. And he said, you know, be good stewards and then I'll come back. Essentially, he comes back. The one with five now has 10. The one with two now has four. And the one with one now has two. I'm sorry, the one with one still has one. <laughs> Let me get the story right. And, and so he says, good, good done to the, well done to the one that had five and now 10. The one, two, and now four, good done. Good done, good done. What does that mean? <laughs> well done. <laughs> um... <laughs> And to the one that has one, he says, take it away from him. He's a wicked servant and give it to the one that has 10. And he said, to whom doesn't have what he has will be taken. And to, to whom who has more will be given. And what he's simply saying is he tried to maintain it and he lost it. And most of the time in our lives, the things we try to maintain or the things we don't maintain, they end up working backwards. And so all relationships, all relationships all of them are about what we put into them. Like you can, you can have a date night. You can talk to a counselor. You can find ways to invest. Uh, let me give you a principle. If you're here and, and you're like, you know what? I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what to do, but I feel like we've worked backwards if you're a marriage, whatever the case may be. Luke 13, 8 says this. This is a parable of a, of a man who owns a, a garden, essentially, and he goes to get a fig off a fig, fig tree, and there's no figs. And he says, just cut it down. I've given it three years. There's still no figs. And then the gardener steps in and says this. He says, leave it alone for one more year. And he says, I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we'll cut it down. Here's what he said. Let me give you three things if you want to invest. Three things if, if you want to work on your relationship. Three things. Number one is this. Give it some grace. Don't cut it down. There's ways we cut things down. Cutting down is judgment. 
And when we stand as the judge of our spouse, we're cutting it down. We're cutting them down. And so if you want to kill it, just judge it or keep judging it or keep criticizing or keep critiquing. If you want to keep doing that, just know you're cutting it down. But if you want to back up and give it some space and give it some grace and allow a time or an opportunity for God, for the Holy Spirit, because how many know we're not our spouse's Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit actually work, to let God get involved. And many times God can't get involved until we back up and get out of the way. And so leave it alone. Give it some grace. Stop the judgment. Stop screaming, cut it down. (laughs) Stop telling them what they're doing wrong. Step back. Give it some grace. Here's the second thing. Then dig around it. Digging, they would dig around a tree because the soil had gotten compacted and compressed and nutrients and water couldn't get to the roots. So they would dig around the tree so that the nutrients and, 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 and the, the water and all could come in contact with the parts that needed. So, so here's the thing. Go to digging. But listen to me. Don't dig on your spouse. Dig on you. Soil always symbolizes the heart. Dig in here. Dig in your heart. Find the hard areas in your heart and break up that ground. Don't, you've been, don't dig on them. You go in here, work on yourself. Say, where's the areas that I need to change? Where's the, the places that I need to work? Where's the, the hard, where's the hard place? Where are the hard places in my own heart? Let me go to work there and trust God. And then the last one, fertilize it. Choose to invest in it. Plan a date night. I I have a counselor that I only talk to about marriage. One person, that's my marriage person. Julie has one too. And and these are the people, this is the same person, but we, we, we work on our marriage and the way we do it is we have one person, he's our resource, and we go to him and say, we gotta work through something. We gotta work on something. Have, have, find an investment, talk to a life group leader, talk to a friend, read a book. Listen to a series, but try date night. Could be the best night of your life. But find ways to invest in. I think you'll be amazed to see what God can do. God has an incredible plan for relationships. He had an incredible plan for your relationship. He has good things for you. We just have to do it His way. And I just want to encourage you back up today. And as we have listened to this message, I want to encourage you to take one or two things that you've heard that you can apply to your relationship today and say, how could I put this into practice immediately? Something that the Holy Spirit just shows you and say, okay, I'm going to try this. Is, I'm going to work on this right here. And you might be amazed at what God starts doing in your life. If we get our expectations right, we get our relationships built on the truth of God's word. It's incredible to see what God can do. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise? So good. Why don't you stand with me?